Hey everyone, I'm Chris Hall and this is the Downtime Podcast, where we're going to be taking you deeper than ever into the gravity-based side of mountain biking. First up, a quick thank you to this week's supporters, that's Seven Mesh and PNW Components. Seven Mesh is based in the mountains of British Columbia and was founded by three of the team from high-end outdoor clothing brand Arcteryx. In fact, we'll be joined by one of those founders, Ian Martin, on the podcast next week. As you'd expect from that combo of challenging terrain, extremely varied weather and incredible skills and experience in the outdoor clothing world, Seven Mesh are making truly high-performance clothing for mountain biking, gravel and road riding. They're working super hard to give us new options and better solutions to meet our needs, which is designed to last the test of time, not just the next season. Needless to say, the performance is next level, but their gear is built to last in the harshest of conditions and to keep you comfortable for as long as you're prepared to go. Seven Mesh are always looking forward and have just launched their brand new Airmap collection. Airmap uses a unique approach of different map layers that uses incoming air to expel warm, moist air out of the garment, while blocking air and water in the places where you need it to. This allows them to individually tune the product's performance to the specific requirements of each of the garments. The entire range is free from PFAS and PFCs, also known as the Forever Chemicals. Head to their website to find out more about the Airmap range. Alongside the Airmap range, they've also got lots of other incredible products that'll improve your comfort whatever the weather. I'd highly recommend checking out their Chilco Anorak, which was by far my most worn piece of bike clothing last autumn, winter and spring. You can see the entire range at 7mesh.com. Whether you want to try 7mesh for the first time or you're already hooked, they're offering downtime listeners a 20% discount using the code 7meshxdowntime20. That's the number 7 followed by meshxdowntime, then the number 20, all lowercase with no spaces. So that's 7MeshX Downtime 20 over at 7mesh.com. Head over now and check them out. And what's even better is they ship globally. So wherever you are, you can get your hands on some top quality riding gear. That code will run until the end of January 2024. This episode is also supported by PNW Components. PNW Components comes from a drive to bring you top quality bike components at affordable prices and then supporting them with an industry leading lifetime warranty. This is achieved using their experience of working for top bike brands and their relationships with leading manufacturers to create top performing products at a fraction of the cost. I've been a long time fan of their dropper posts and their incredible Lone Lever dropper remote, which I've had on my Kotic Flare Max and Rocket Max since 2018 with zero issues. You can check out the entire range over at pnwcomponents.com or if you're in the UK, then they now have UK distribution by heading to pnwcomponents.co.uk. Just a few more quick things before we get stuck into this week's episode. If you want to help support the podcast, you can either set up a regular donation via my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash downtime podcast or grab yourself some merch from downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop or you can share the episodes with your friends or on your social media and spread the word. I really appreciate everyone who supports what I do. It really makes a huge difference. So thank you very much. Don't forget to follow the podcast to make sure you never miss an episode. You can do that by hitting the button in your podcast app now, or there's buttons for all the major platforms to help you over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash follow. You can either listen to today's episode right here, or if you prefer to watch it, you can now do that over on my YouTube channel, which is youtube.com forward slash at downtimepodcast. All the links for all of this stuff are in the show notes for this episode on downtimepodcast.com. 
All right, with race teams getting closed down and huge sales on at many brands, it's left a lot of people wondering what's happening to the bike industry. Today, I'm joined by the founder of PNW Components, Aaron Kirsten, and Sandy Plenty from the Trailhead and PNW UK to chat about what's going on. We discuss how the bike industry ended up in this situation, what it's going to take to get us out of it, if we're going to lose some brands along the way, and plenty more. So, without further ado, here's Aaron Kirsten and Sandy Plenty. Aaron Kirsten and Sandy Plenty, welcome back to both of you to the Downtime Podcast. You've both been on uh, in uh, previous uh, times, and um, we're going to be chatting today about the state of the bike industry. It's a, an interesting time for everyone involved, I think, and um, and also I think it's good to bring consumers up to speed, let everyone know what's going on, because there's there's also some some positives for people out there looking to buy bikes, bits, clothing, all this kind of stuff. Um, before we get stuck into the thick of it, uh, just in case people didn't hear either of you guys the last time you were on, Sandy, maybe we'll start with you. Can you just give us a real brief intro to who you are? Uh, thanks, Chris. And hi, Aaron. Good to see you both. Um, yeah, my name's Sandy Plenty. I live in Shrewsbury in the middle of England, and we have a little bike shop called the Trailhead Bicycle Company. Um, but uh, a new string to our bow is we have just become... PNW UK, nice, yeah. yeah. And Aaron, obviously, the PNW link there. Tell us a bit, just briefly, about yourself and how this link with Sandy came. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, thanks for having me on the uh, on the show again, man. Um, yeah. So we are. Where do we even start? I mean, we've we've uh, been selling into the UK for quite a while. We'll, we'll get into this later, but um, basically, Sandy and I. Uh, linked up and Sandy had a crazy idea of just, Hey, we have this extra space. Let's, uh, let's see about getting more of a presence here for you guys locally. And we, we basically just took that and ran with it. Um, fast forward to January of this year and we got launched, uh, with product as well as service, warranty support returns, everything, uh, they're locally out of, uh, uh, an additional space that, that Sandy's running out. So we're stoked. We're very, very stoked to be in the UK. It's been a long time coming and uh yeah really really happy we can make it happen nice yeah and good to have two great guys working together it's always nice when that yeah. happens um yeah so let's talk about the state of the industry because things are, are definitely challenging right sandy give us a bit of an overview of the last few years maybe we start kind of end of 2019 before covid because i think covid was the initial um event that changed everything and then there's a few other things that have knocked on since then sure i mean if i think back to 2019 it was pretty pretty dark time in as well in terms of you know figures and effort to reward was not great and uh, there was a few points when I thought you know is this worth me doing this you really? know um, obviously I love it and it is worth it but just questioning a few things um, we came into COVID I don't need to tell you guys what happened then <laughs> the whole world just turned on its head but we were allowed to stay open um I don't know about bike shops over in the uh, in the US, Aaron, but we were deemed essential, which was which was good news. It's nice, isn't it? Um, and we sold all our bikes. We ordered more. We sold those. We ordered more, and you know, it had to come to an end. I guess uh, we we were quite conservative in what we ordered, and I think other shops were, but we still got caught out. Um, and from how I see it, we're we're stuck now with. Too much inventory, too many bikes, and uh, everyone wants the latest and greatest. So we need to flush this this model year through. Yeah, 
and, and try and get onto some 2024 product. Not that I want to wish wish the year away, but um, it's it's certainly challenging with uh, too many bikes and not enough customers. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. What um, What do you think drove the softening in demand? Obviously, there was a, a almost a false high demand during COVID because everyone wanted to go riding right there was an opportunity to do some exercise loads of people kind of came into the sport people weren't necessarily in the office a lot of people were furloughed mm-hmm. or weren't having to work so there was like there that was spare drive money. there yeah there was spare money i suppose because people weren't going on holiday so we've had that you know return to normality and normal levels but do you think the whole you know the war in ukraine is is also like it's driven that cost of living crisis. I think everyone's feeling the pinch. Do you think that's been a, a player as well? Yeah, massively. Um, I mean, it all started with with that and everyone going back to work and and that spare cash wasn't around. But more importantly, that spare time wasn't around. So for sure, that was the start. And then the, the war is, you know, that's just horrific on so many levels. But what I'm seeing right now, if you ask me that question about today... Um, is interest rates and you know people remortgaging houses here in the UK. Yeah, people's mortgages are, are going from you know seven hundred pound a month to twelve hundred, and and that uh, that bicycle fund has has been eaten up. So yeah, the fund tokens have gone elsewhere, right? That's how I feel it. Yeah. Um, we just do we just need to get to to next spring is my is my feeling, and uh-huh. we'll be fine. You go to a trail. I don't know about you, Aaron, but you go to a trail around here and it's buzzing like every uplist full um every car park is full everyone's out shredding and family rides as well cycling is booming but the bikes aren't selling so you know uh, i think perhaps we're going to have some big repairs around the corner (laughs) yeah we'll talk about that but this is the first time in a while that we've seen bikes on sale right there was been nothing since covid kicked in and there's some uh, some pretty insane sales to be had out there, right? Yeah, I mean, in January, Specialized, you know, announced uh, a big sale, and it was very easy to go, ooh, you know, they're in trouble. But they weren't in trouble. They were just ahead of the curve. They were just making a decision to try and clear inventory really soon on. You know, and then some other big players like Santa Cruz. I've never seen 20% off of Santa Cruz in the 30 years I've been doing this. So I think that's a sign. It's bonkers. <laughs> yeah. And I say to everyone out there, and I've said it before publicly, just buy a bike now because you will not see these deals again. Well, I hope you won't anyway. <laughs> yeah, fingers crossed. Aaron, how about from your side? It's uh, obviously you're in the you know, the product side of things rather than the direct customer-facing shop side. But like, what have you seen through COVID and up to now? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a um, the, the big one for us is just how fascinating the information loop is and how long information takes to get through various sales channels, right? So, like for us on the on the direct to consumer side, we we're seeing basically Q one of last year in twenty twenty two. We're kind of looking around. You know, we use March and April as kind of our gauge for how the rest of the year will will be, and it's quite you know quite a bit softer than what we were expecting. We're looking around. We're like. This is odd. You know, so we talked to our factory. They're like, no, orders are still strong. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, we then go to some retailers like, no, things are good. We're still ordering up product. And we're like, I don't know, man. So w- what we use is um, just as, as 
one of many kind of uh, data points is, you know, we just look at like Google Trends. If you go on Google Trends, you can look up search volume for certain keywords. And we're seeing like a decline, pretty major decline for things related to mountain bikes, dropper posts, bike components, whatever it may be. So we're, we, we took that to mean, you know, this party has to end at some point. And we took a risk and just started canceling orders really aggressively and just trying to move product um, around that time. So basically April of last year is when we started. We then had orders we couldn't cancel. Same story as everyone else. Uh, we got stuck with a ton of inventory basically like August, September, October of last year. And as Sandy was saying, you know, we, we got ahead of it with a big sale in October last year of just like, we got to get this shit out of here. Like we have to move product. We have to get our cash back um, to go through the winter. Right. And I think that was quite, a, quite eye-opening because I think a lot of brands are going through that process right now. So like for us, we've been out of stock of some of our top sellers for two months. You know, we just got restocked yesterday on, on our loam dropper post, or, or, which is our top selling product. And, you know, that sucked, you know, being, being peak summer and not having that product, that was a bummer, but I think that's the opposite. So we're seeing like a bullwhip effect where like we cut a ton of orders to reduce our inventory and now we have too little. Uh, it's finally getting replenished now. We'll be, we'll be good moving forward. But I think based on like where you're getting your information, how quick it is, um, a lot of brands weren't able to react that quickly, especially with bikes because the lead times are so freaking long. I mean, it can be 24 months to get a bike through production, right? And so if you're canceling orders, it's going to take two years, 18 months, 12 months, whatever it is, um, to actually cut those orders back and you're stuck with whatever's coming in that meantime. Um, and I think that that's what we're seeing a lot of right now. And we're seeing it again on the on the component side. I think there's kind of a, whoops, sorry, sorry, real quick. Um, <laughs> there's basically a, sorry about that. There's, I, I think a, uh, an interesting thing going on where we're seeing like almost a second or third wave of excess inventory coming in, because let's say you're a component brand that sells OEM. You've had a bunch of orders cut. You're now stuck with all of this excess inventory. And I think a lot of it is getting leaked out through basically a gray market where like the bike assembler. So let's say you're uh, a bike brand. You probably aren't making that bike yourself, like actually assembling it. You're probably going through a, a, a you know, a manufacturer who's putting all the parts onto the frames. They are the ones that are actually buying all of that product. It's not you as the bike brand. Um, they're fronting that cost to you. They're going to be buying the components, whatever. If you're then cutting orders, they're stuck with all that product and they're going to be like, screw you. I'm getting rid of this stuff. I got to get rid of it somehow. Um, and then that, that creates a gray market where product ends up in online retailers that are buying this stuff for dirt cheap. They're then selling it for below uh, you know, in the U.S., we have we have MAP uh, minimum advertised price. They're selling it for healthy margins at a massive discount, and I think that's what we're seeing now. You're, if you Google things like dropper seat posts, there are some incredible brands, great products that are being sold for like fifty percent off. That's insane, really insane. We've never seen that. Like Sandy was saying, like seeing a brand like Specialized or Santa Cruz discount bikes, like that never happens. We're seeing the same things with some really premium brands. Um, so I think that's what we're seeing. And that's just going to take a long time to flush all that through because you have basically the product that was slotted for retail. And then you have this additional OEM product that's now just sort of out there being sold as aftermarket product that wasn't intended for that. Um, so it's almost like double supply. <laughs> Yeah, uh, so it's insane. it's a crazy time. I, th I think all of us are just kind of looking around of just like, how did we all get this so wrong? <laughs> you know, like not just in cycling, but everywhere. I mean, you look at brands like, even like Walmart or Target, like they have economists on staff, you know, like, and they still overbought. Um, so it's, it's really, I mean, it's a scenario that none of us have been through, right? Because it had a lot of 
macro factors that we just, I don't think, uh, well, clearly we didn't know how to forecast that properly <laughs> and what yeah, the impact is going to be. I guess COVID disrupted the supply chain so much as well that the lead times kind of went <clears throat> crazy, right? Some stuff that would normally be on 90 days was on two or 300 days. So actually the something that would normally you need to be able to forecast a 90 day period, you now need to be able to forecast a year, year and a half, two years. And people didn't have the tools necessarily, I guess, to, to create those forecasts, to be accurate. There's a lot of things that have gone on that have kind <clears throat> of, it's made it like the worst possible scenario. Yeah, and I also think, um, I know Aaron just touched on it there, that we were cancelling bikes as minimum as we could. So say, say I don't know, a brand said to me, oh, we have got 10 bikes, we want to ship them. I didn't just cancel 10. I'd, I'd say, okay, we'll take two because um, we like you, but yeah. we can't have eight. And, and I think they're probably further up the chain, but they, they wanted to cancel from their vendors. And I think some of the factories... Because of the the reasons that Aaron explained, were like, no way, Jose, you're you're not you are not cancelling those bikes, or you're not cancelling that inventory. You're having it, or you can find yourself a new factory. Right. And I think I'm not saying that happened in every case, but certainly I know it did in some. And the, the people with their own factories, the brands with their own factories, were probably in a good position because they could yeah. they could determine what they made, when they made it, and how much they flooded or didn't flood the market yeah having control of your own supply chain i guess aaron becomes even more important in these instances it does yeah and that, you know that makes it challenging for a brand our size is like we're 100 reliant on on contract manufacturers the the stuff that we saw really get tricky is with when something would be subbed out right so like if we're <clears throat> using a factory that's an assembler and they're doing maybe machining in-house assembly in-house some other stuff um but maybe they're subbing out anodizing or they're subbing out forging that stuff. We couldn't cancel. <laughs> like mm. there was this, that was this like non-negotiable, just like, no, no, you can't cancel that. Sorry. That's not our, that's not our product. We we're paying another vendor for that. And they, and sorry, you just can't do it. So that was, um, that was eye opening Cause you know, none of us had been through that. You know, we've had like times where we shuffle quantities around between similar products, but it's never been a scenario where it's like, sorry, we can't take that at all. Like we just, we don't need it at all and it has to be canceled. So that was eye-opening. It also was a shuffle of like what stage the pandemic, or sorry, the um, the delays were hitting. So like first it was assembly because there's a lack of labor <clears throat> to keep up with, with the amount of demand that there was. And then it was the sub suppliers. So first it was forging, then it was anodizers and it was, you know, whatever it may be. Heat treatment was a, a big one. It was just like, what do you mean you can't get this heat treated? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Um, but that, that's, that's where things got. So it just was every month, something different was what was causing the delay. That was, that was fascinating to see. Um, I think one thing too, that was, you know, talking about like what causes, I think we see a lot of if you're looking at like larger brands, not just in cycling, but just, just in consumer products in general, you know, especially ones that are publicly traded, there's an expectation that their, you know, their job is to create investor returns and investors are going to go to the brands that are going to promise the higher growth in the future. I mean, that's what you're, you're not betting on what's happening today. You're betting on what's happening in the future. And I think we saw a lot of game of kind of chicken that was going on where, where these brands were saying, well, no, we're going to grow 20%. And then investor says, well, your competitor says they're going to do 40% growth. So where are you at? And then they say, shit, okay. So they up their forecast. And then the investor's savvy and they say, well, you need to order the product to be able to hit that growth. So you better have those orders in place. So then they do that. 
And it just continues and, conti- and continues. And no one wanted to be the first one to say, hey, wait, I think the, mar- the market's going to shift. We need to make some changes because people are going to pull their money out of that brand. Right. So I mm-hmm. think that we saw this happen all the way to the very, very, very last you know, second that anything could happen. And uh, as a result, yeah, there's a lot of excess product. And I think a lot of us are looking around at these bigger brands and seeing what they're doing. And sure enough, uh, in this instance, I don't think that was a good idea. (laughs) Yeah, well, and I guess COVID um, brought in a lot of investors. They saw this industry booming. It was one of the industries that really did well in that initial COVID boom. So it brought investors in looking. And then like you say, they've pushed everyone's kind of growth forecasts up. And along with that, the product, like everything's kind of been against us, I guess. Yeah, there's, there's this, a lot of, oh, yeah, sorry, go ahead. There you go. There's a, there's a ton of M&A, you know, merchant acquisition investment activity going on through COVID. I mean, uh, an un, I think an unprecedented amount within cycling specifically. Um, and yeah, that exact scenario happened where it's like, oh, you're going to show 50% growth. Cool. Well, you better put those orders in and we're, we're not going to, we're not going to invest. And there's always a cat and game, a cat and mouse game that goes on with investment where you're you're needing to show like, this is the best case scenario for our financial projections. And this is what, what it could look like. And the investor knows that, but they're also going to say, okay, cool. Well, yeah, that's the plan that I'm investing in. So you need to move forward with that. And sure enough, yeah, once the demand softened, um, there's a lot of brands stuck with excess supply because they were working on a uh, potentially an unrealistic uh, set of projections, yeah. um, no, that's, g- given the scenario. yeah, That's similar to what's been happening at the other end of the chain, which is the, the bike shop. I think uh, there's been quite a few bike shops I know that have have uh, m- multiple stores or, or perhaps they've got two stores and they've sold to some, some big players in the UK. And I'm just thinking about that, that boardroom meeting, you know, when they were, you know, these are the numbers we're doing and we're going to do this, we're going to do this. Well, it's a little bit, you know, it's risky business because it, it was never going to, carry on and surely the the investors knew that and yeah i think there's some tricky tricky conversations happening around the bike industry at the minute with, yeah. with investors yeah for sure sandy from the bike shop side of things like how's it been aaron talked about you know certain orders were uncancelable you mentioned that you know you've done what you can to take orders have as have there been instances where like orders have been sort of forced on you like how's your your stock level, I guess, and managing all of that must be really tricky. Yeah, that's a good question, Chris. I think um, the, it was tricky to start with because it's a little bit like Aaron said about a game of chicken. I didn't want to be the first shop to go, I'm cancelling those bikes. You know, I, I, It's a pride thing. You end up, you know, I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll keep taking them, we'll keep taking them. And then it did get to a point where, no, that's enough. But what's really interesting is is you see some of these brands true colors from my perspective now we're going into 2024 and 2025 pre-book ordering yeah um i'm not going to mention any of the ones that that perhaps i don't you know haven't done it the, the right way in my eyes but marin for instance have just been so progressive um and i'm going to mention them because they, de- they deserve mentioning um you know they're like order some bikes just give us Give us a bit of a floor plan of what you'd like. We'll keep the stock. Let's go back to how it was in 2019 where you have a few bikes and we're the warehouse, okay. as in the brand. But that's how it should be. I think with COVID times, and, and I think if anyone uh, who is a, a bike shop owner or works in a bike shop will hopefully agree with me on this, is the bike shop suddenly became the warehouse. Right. 
I'm not talking about the, the, the you know the the great thing we got going on with PNW. I'm talking about bike brands. So we'd normally typically for for a main brand keep twenty thirty bikes in stock. They should have the the thousand bikes, and we yeah. order them when we need them. Yeah, yeah, that's how it used to work when I worked in a bike shop many years ago. Yeah, and it worked because we're not set up to be a distributor in terms of warehouse space. Yeah, so that's been a challenge. But again. A lot of uh, our key brands have been been really really cool, and they've just been just take what you need, and we'll we'll stock the rest. Yeah, you have struggled for space though, right? You've taken on a bit of extra space in order to keep hold of all the bikes and bits that you have taken. Yeah, sure. I mean, we struggled for space from when the day well, we yeah, opened. True, yeah. It's like the TARDIS, <laughs> but that that was my choice as well. But you know, you're right. We had to take an extra um, an extra lockup just for bikes. Yeah, and that's not just another monthly rent for for bikes you've then got to make sure that space is secure uh and insure it yeah um and make sure it's close enough to your business that you know such and such comes in they want that bike in a 18 inch you're not saying oh just give me half an hour i'll just drive <laughs> yeah, yeah pop drive and get, and get one. it so space has become a, a bit of a premium yeah yeah and that again that makes things challenging financially right but in all of this e-bikes have been a little bit of a savior is that fair to say like e-bike demand seems to be super strong above everything else right now well this is a really good question and uh i think it's a double-edged sword so yes you could say the e-bike has saved our turnover and we're, we're selling lots of e-bikes mm-hmm. not just to the weekend warriors and, and people leisure riders to the more hardcore riders but it, it feels just like when we went from 26 inch to 27 and a half in 2012, 2013. Right. Great. We've got a new interest. People are buying bikes, but you've still got so much. If you saw how many acoustic bikes I have in stock, awesome bikes from awesome brands that I would love to ride, but they're not selling. Right. And that's not because the bikes aren't good. It's because we are seeing more people wanting e-bikes. So yes, it's good but there's a little bit more stock left over Yeah, yeah. because of it. So it's not necessarily new customers that are coming to, to the sport buying e-bikes. Maybe some of it is, but a lot of it is existing mountain bikers that want an e-bike. So they're buying that rather than a new normal bike. It is now. So I'd say okay. the, the first wave, which was 2019 and 2020, was, was new customers, like you yeah. said. And then now it's it's we're seeing those... Uh, you know, men and women buying their second or third e-bike, but now we're seeing what I call the hardcore, the the they probably used to call themselves purists, but now they're they're buying e-bikes as well. I'll get shot down for that. But <laughs> do you know what? I think I think they're great. I love e-bikes, but I just don't want everyone to forget the great pedal bikes. Yeah, we how have, good a, how know, good a regular how, bike is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, definitely. Aaron, I don't know what your thoughts are on this, but it feels a little bit to me like the the technical progress within the bike has probably been, it seems fa- much faster, and this makes sense as to why on the, on the e-bike side of things, and the regular bike technology, I wouldn't say it's stalled, but like we went through, you know, wheel size changes. We went through really huge improvements in suspension we went through yep. huge improvements in geometry geometry is a big one yeah massive improvements and it, you know if you had a bike that was three four five years old 
it was it was hard to ignore the fact that buying a new bike was going to be a lot better. It feels like that's not so much the case in the in the current like market that we live in. Aaron, I don't know what your thoughts are. Yeah, I mean, my my personal opinions. Yeah, um, I think like I, I remember working in shops. I would buy a new bike every model year, right? Like every model year, I would. That was what you do. You buy it at, you know, you get the uh, the industry price. You sell it for that same price, and then you just keep re just flipping that same initial amount of cash and you get the new thing. And, and it was noticeably better, um, cause of advancements in suspension, like your, all the things you guys mentioned, but yeah, I, th- I feel like things are pretty incremental at this point. There's little changes, but like I had a, I, I just, I just sold it recently, but I had a pivot firebird for almost four years, which that's the longest I've ever had a bike, <laughs> which is, I know it's kind of, snooty to say, but you know, I work in the industry, like you have access to bikes. Um, and as a product developer too, like that's, that was, that was my job was testing bikes constantly. But, um, I just, I didn't have any reason to sell it. It had, you know, the Fox factory stuff on it. It was great. It had XDR drivetrain. It was awesome. I had no complaints, uh, industry nine wheels. I mean, the thing was bomb proof. So I kept riding it, but, um, I, you know, I have, I, yeah, I guess all that to say, I, I haven't seen any major advancements that are like getting me super motivated to, to buy the newest thing every year, except on the e-bike side, things are moving so fast. And, and on the component side for us, right? Like we've, we've had requests of like, oh, you should make e-bike specific components. And we look at a bike, we're like, it's kind of a bike, you know, like, unless we're doing like, unless we're doing systems integration stuff, right? Like, and, and there is, there is opportunity for that, but like, there was a need for like really strong wheels that were like e-bike ready because the bikes were so freaking heavy, but now they're not, you know, they're almost as, they're most, almost the same as, as, as a normal bike, uh, depending on spec level. So now they're really just, those needs have gone out the window and it's just a bike with a motor essentially. So it's, um, it's really interesting seeing that. I mean, t- to me, that's exciting to watch. Uh, I would say adoption of e-bikes here in the Seattle area, I think was really slow compared to other areas. You know, you go down to the Bay area in California, it's just e-bikes all day long. And, it, and it's been that way for a long time up here. There was a lot of resistance and kind of animosity towards them. Um, now that's changed, I think just in the last like two years. Um, but if you think about that, that's pretty recent. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that e-bikes have been like a common concept, especially in Europe, obviously for a long time. Um, but here it's been a lot slower, just, just regionally. Um, but I think like as the bikes become less, obviously an e-bike that's been helping. Yeah. Like you see a lot of these bikes that you like the new Orbea, like you can barely tell that's an e-bike. What is it called? The, I forget the rise, I think, but, the rise, yeah. um, there's some really sleek designs going on. And I think that helps kind of reduce that initial reaction of like, Oh, this, you know, cause you hear a lot of stuff like, Oh, it's a motorcycle. It's like, no, it's not. It's a stigma. It's, it's definitely not. Yeah. It's a weird stigma. So anyway, all that to say, yeah, I think, um, overall development has slowed for sure within cycling. I think, um, you know, you looked, it happened in road bikes first. There's just not much more you could do. Like you can't make the bikes lighter because of the UCI regulations. What else are you going to do? Like a little bit of aero <laughs> that's been figured out. Road bikes have kind of stalled and then mountain bikes were next. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. Sandy, have you seen an uptick in servicing as a result of people like hanging on to their bikes for longer? Are you getting more big services through the workshop? Yeah, definitely. So when COVID hit, there was hardly any service work, um, partly because how we and other shops run the business, you know, we didn't want too many people in. But yeah, definitely the start of this year, we saw more and more service work. Um, And it was, it was customers who maybe had that 
you know, that six, seven, two, three, four, whatever grand Santa Cruz. And they they wanted to get the, the, the latest bike. I'm like, well, actually, no, I can't quite afford it this year. But if I spend £800, get my suspension done, get my seat post serviced, um, you know, let's put a new drivetrain on there and and some new frame bearings. My my six grand bike is brand new again. And we're seeing that. And the, the saving grace there is I think that the, the brands who make their frames and the components who make great components like P&W, lots of other brands out there. But if you do it right from day one, the components will last, the bikes will last, and you've got something worth having a good service on, you know. Um, and we've really noticed that. Like we did a service the other day and it, it and it was over a thousand pounds. And I think every 200 pound increment we kept ringing the guy because you know it was, get, it was getting embarrassing i was like really sorry but you know but we weren't forcing it on them and we were just keeping them in the loop yep 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 let's get it right let's get it right so yes the answer is more servicing for sure yeah and i guess aaron that that helps a brand like yourselves right if people are upgrading their current bike rather than going out and buying something completely new then that plays into things like dropper posts and dropper post levers and bits and pieces like that, pedals, grips, bars, stuff that PNW do. Have you, have you have you seen sort of relatively strong sales maybe compared to where some other brands might have been struggling at like a full bike level? Yeah, for sure. I mean, with, with components, it, that was one of the <clears throat> one of the appeals in the very beginning of you know what what segment of cycling do we want to get into? Um, aftermarket components is a good one because it's it's reasonably consistent through boom times as well as recession times because people are going to be more incentivized to, to modify what they have rather than go buy a new bike. And if they are buying a new bike, they're still going to be buying new parts for it. I mean, every bike leaving a shop needs pedals, right? So, I mean, that, that, yeah. that alone is a, is a good one. And then pedals are also somewhat a consumable just because we beat the hell out of them and you have to replace them sometimes. Um, and, and people are always curious about different pedal styles. So I think, you know, that that's definitely benefited us um, it, it, dramatically compared to what's going on with complete bikes. That that kind of dynamics interesting because like we share the same factories, the OEM side, as well as an aftermarket component brand. Um, but our challenges are totally different. So that's um, I think that's somewhat unique for this industry is just kind of how that dichotomy plays out um, that like there's some similarities, but the market factors are totally different for a complete bike than they are for us. Yeah, fair. What about the secondhand market, Sandy? Because I guess you sort of you have an awareness of that through the bike shop and that side of things, and customers probably asking you, "Oh, what's it worth? Should I sell it?" Like, how's the secondhand market doing? Because if if new bikes are struggling to move, I guess secondhand are too. Well, exactly. If you move, if you move the the two three premium brands in the world and they do twenty percent off sale, that means that bike two years old second hand is worth 20% less as well and a good example of that is um Corinna who works with me at the shop she rides a Juliana and this thing's like absolutely pimped out but she, you know she couldn't sell it for it was less she sold it for less than the price of a frame new and and it was wow. ridiculous and that's when we really noticed like that you know poor Corinna had to go through that but we all watched and it's like that bike's worth so much more that's you know, crazy, and then, eh? and then even when she went to sell it, the the dude in the car park's trying to get more money off, and I'm just like, <laughs> you know, I think it's it's a 
what I'm going to say is just hold on to your bike a little bit longer, make it last a bit longer. I should be actually saying, <laughs> come buy come a new, new bikes. But <laughs> I think if if I'm if I'm staying true to my moral compass, um, you know, let's let's get that bike serviced and make it last another year until interest rates have sorted themselves out and and uh, we can all buy the new bling again. <laughs> yeah, that would be nice. Do you think, Aaron, like technology launches are being held back? Are, are brands trying to not put too much new stock into the market? And are we seeing launches delayed? Do you have any insight on that side of things? Yeah, that, that's for sure happening. Um, I'm not going to go into specifics there, but yeah, there, there's brands definitely holding stuff back. Um, I mean, you, you just got it. There's you know, there's the rumor mill and, and we've seen some examples of, of things that, are, that, are, that have come out that have been done for like a year plus, um, which never happens. It's usually a rush of like, oh, God, this thing's barely baked, but we're going to launch it anyway. And it, we were seeing the opposite of that now. And then you also have to kind of scratch your head and say, you know, there's a lot of really talented, smart product designers and engineers locked up in their houses for years. I guarantee there's some really cool stuff that's been designed through the pandemic that that they just is just waiting to come out. That's my, that's my personal thought. Um, so we'll see, we'll see what's coming, but I, I, I do know for sure that's definitely happening. That's exciting. Um, across the yeah, board. Yeah, it is exciting. I think so. I mean, think about it, right? Like the, the distractions of travel and trade shows and dealer events and all of these things were paused for years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that put a lot of, I would think uh, a lot of focus time onto coming up with cool new stuff. And we've seen, We've seen a bit of it. We've heard of, of things happening at factories that that's pretty innovative and cool. But um, yeah, I think we'll see more stuff coming over the next year, 18 yeah. months, something like that. Yeah, it's a tricky one, I guess. Like I, I, I'm trying to think of big launches that we've seen recently. And the, the biggest is probably the transmission drivetrain from SRAM, which is, you know, it's a really yeah. interesting technology. Obviously, loads of proud engineers that have been working on that. But by launching it, it kind of devalues all kind of existing axs stock it means people want a udh hanger on on any new bike mm-hmm. they're going to go and buy like it's super yep. tricky i guess hey like trying to get this balance between when to launch stuff keeping technology progression going but not like you know cutting the the bottom out of stuff that's sat on shelves in shops or in warehouses ready to go i think you're right though i think also without going in too much i, I think that's perhaps uh, one that came out of the oven a long time ago uh-huh and uh and and wasn't put in the public eye as quick as it could have been um the udh hanger i think is uh i think is a good thing as a shopkeeper who i i bet you i've got a thousand pounds worth of mac hangers in that (laughs) shop and i might as well just throw 500 pounds worth of them in the bin yeah yeah no one's ever gonna come in for a you know 2014 orange five hanger (laughs) Or maybe they will. You never know. Anyone out there? Drop me an email. (laughs) But that's it. You've got it in the patch. You've got a stock of them, right? Sorry, go on, Aaron. Sorry, just derailer hangers. That was that's always a nightmare as a as a bike brand. Like at Marin, it was an absolute nightmare keeping track of that because you had to create these small batches of these really old trailer hangers because there's no other way to service customers with older bikes. And so you're doing, you know, then each factory has a minimum order quantity you have to hit. So you're like, wait, I have to buy a thousand of this thing. I just need one. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, sorry, you know, that's, that's what it is. And then there's like, you know, 40 different variations of derailleur hangers you have to inventory on the customer service side. It's insane. It's really insane. So yeah, I think that the universal thing is uh, long overdue. Um, so yeah, happy about that. Yeah. Positive move Agreed. for sure. So, What's it going to take, Aaron, then, to start 
resolving this issue that we have too much stock not enough demand people holding back on launches like how do we get from here back to something that's more normal and a bit more comfortable for for everyone within the bike industry yeah i mean it seems the really all that's working right now is brands are discounting and, and blowing product out making deals with larger retailers you know online retailers to just look like kind devil. of like what sandy was saying is yeah you're <laughs> i can deal with the devil <laughs> you're 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 basically you're shifting the product from sitting in one warehouse into another warehouse and obviously ownership has changed but i think that a lot of those retailers are like hey whatever you know i'm, I'm able to get this for pennies on the dollar this will sell eventually and that's worth it to me um so i think there's going to be a lot more of that and it's just going to continue to happen but i'm very very confident that we're going to see this bullwhip effect where net where there's going to be a period of, of out of stock again and then a rush to try and order a bunch of product to again just because um, I, I, I can only assume there's been overreactions of canceling of orders and then we're going to be blowing all this product out and the next thing you know I think there's going to be lead time issues again for a period of time. It's kind of like the what they call it the dead cat where it like falls and it bounces. Um, there's going to be kind of this reduction of inventory and then a, a, a little spike again of, of needing that, that product. So I don't know, outside of that, I don't, I don't know that anyone's really figured out the, uh, the answer to that. I do think it's going to take, unfortunately, probably another 18 months until we're out of this. I think it's, I think it's gonna be a brutal At least. winter and yeah. And a rough spring. And, and, um, the, the big thing for any company, regardless of, of what industry it is, is it's, it's all about cash. And the brands that were acquired um, potentially have a leg up on us smaller independents because they have investors that potentially have money that have a vested interest that that brand succeed, <laughs> succeeds and survives. So if they really get in a tough spot, more likely to get bailed out than you know these smaller brands where we're you know having to move product and, and really preserve cash as best we can so that we're not having to pay insane interest rates to finance money to buy product or or or, op, or you know fund our operations so it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens um throughout the market i think there's going to be probably more acquisitions of brands mergings of brands some brands unfortunately i think will probably disappear we're already starting to see that um so it's going to be uh we're definitely not out of the out of the wild times it's just going to be different times yeah. Do you think there are For spots sure. in the chain, Aaron, that are like more at risk than others? Or do you think it just varies depending on like cash position and, and, and how how much inventory you've got sat on this on the shelves? Man, you know, the, the the this is probably obvious, but I think the higher price point items are really tough because that's a higher holding cost for a retailer to bring on, right? Like if you're making I'm just using a random example, suspension, those are really expensive. And a retailer's probably looking at Sandy, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's like I could buy one fork or I could buy like 10 of something else that's probably going to move much faster at a higher margin. You're probably going to go put your money on that. Um, also, things that are large and just kind of clunky wheels are an example. I think that, that we've always stayed away from wheels just because the holding cost and the shipping cost is really high. They're big boxes. Mm. You have to pay for storage, right? Like that's a lot of... Yeah real estate that you have to finance to to hold all those boxes uh, for just a single unit. So I think things like that, I think, are, are, are just more challenging to move. Um, stuff that are commodities like grips and levers and little things like that, I think, uh, are not an issue. I mean, those are always fun. They're reasonably accessible price point wise, and people are always down to, to try a new grip or something. Um, but yeah, there's definitely 
areas. And then, like you mentioned, once things become obsolete, what do you do with that product? You know, um, drivetrain wise, yeah, there's a lot of changes happening right now. And I wonder, cause it's, I, I, you know, we're not in that world. So we, we kind of see it through our peripheral, but I, I don't know what's going on there, but I can only assume, yeah, there's probably a lot of that. That's perfectly good product. That's going to be sitting in warehouses for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy word. What are you seeing on the shop floor then, Sandy? Yeah. Are there any signs of improvement? Like it feels like certainly in the UK anyway, the inflation rate has started to slow. Admittedly, people are going through mortgage renewals and that's kind of sure. the latest problem, I guess. Um, energy prices have mm-hmm. started to drop a little bit and there's semi-positive news there, but still not coming back to anything like pre-Russian kind of uh, invasion levels. What are your views on this from a from a shop floor perspective? Um, well, what we've seen, I, I was in work this morning before I came up to chat with you guys. Uh, we It comes back to that we're seeing more upgrades. So things are selling like yesterday we sold about a thousand pounds worth of hope stuff guy came in just building a new bike wanted to finish it off he was very much like screw this i'm i'm treating myself you know i can't get a new bike but i'm gonna get this one running real sweet and so we're seeing more of that and i think we've got to adapt as a shop as well maybe maybe trailhead in 10 years doesn't sell bikes i hope we do I really do. I love selling bikes, but, um, you know, I think you've just got to adapt and look at what the market is and what people are willing to spend and what they're willing to spend it on. So at the minute, we're seeing a really healthy spend on on components, Yeah. you know, whether that be new rear shock or a new dropper. Dropper's a big one. Yeah. You know, we're seeing less droppers service. We might get like a cooked reverb in and they'll go for a, you know, a P&W or, or a, you know, or whoever. But we're seeing more upgrades okay. on the shop floor, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's, that's positive. Yeah, it's good. More upgrades than you have in the last sort of six-month period, maybe. That's an ev- an increasing trend. Yeah. Like more think, money getting spent. And I think even, um, you know, COVID times was just new bikes, new bikes, new bikes. Yeah. 2017, 18, 19 was still new bikes, new bikes, new bikes, but not as many. Yeah. But I'm just really seeing a lot of upgrades. Okay. You know, from whether it's, you know, really small things to to really big things. It's, it's yeah. definitely improved, which is good. Yeah, that is good. Aaron, what's what kind of drives your 18-month uh, thought, like a year and a half to kind of come out the other side of this? What's informing that um, viewpoint from your side? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's just seeing the amount of, well, it's, so we're, we're kind of, we're playing both sides, right? Like we're talking to the, to bike shops, we're talking to the larger online retailers, but then we're also talking to our factories and seeing what's going on there and just hearing the amounts, the amount of product finished products that they're holding for, for brands that still hasn't even shipped. So that's, that's the big one. And then hearing that, you know, there's this gray market thing going on with assembly factories that are selling product, um, that have like, absurd amounts of various bits, um, that they have to hold that they have no home for, and they're kind of stuck with the bag. Um, so that, that's kind of what's informing it is just hearing what's still over in Taiwan, what's here now that's not moving. And, and also just kind of, um, 
you know, hearing what's going on in the market. I mean, the, 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 the good thing is, is what Sandy was saying is that like people are buying stuff like this is what's unique about this is this isn't like a complete turnaround. Like there's no demand. There's still demand. It's higher than it was in 2019. So like we're still better off from a market standpoint than we were prior to the pandemic. It's just we saw this crazy blip and now there's this weird noise that's going on in the market. So I think I think all of those are very positive signs. That's what's been kind of keeping us very motivated and, and excited is seeing like there's still opportunities. It's just it's tough to compete when one of your competitors is selling pedals at like their landed cost. Um, that's, I mean, there's no way like that, you know, you can't compete against that. It's impossible. So, um, but that's not sustainable. That's terrible for your brand, right? Like that makes you look bad. And it's also a situation where there's no profit cause you're just trading dollars for dollars. Like you've just moved a product like it never happened. A busy um, fool. That's, you know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Fair play. And then in, in amongst all of this chaos, you guys have got together and uh, and decided to form a, an official working relationship. Sandy, you've been selling PNW stuff in the shop for quite a long time already, right? I think you were one of the first, if not the first shop in the UK to have the the loam lever dropper remote. Yeah, it's, it's uh, without getting all soppy, yeah, it's really, really cool. I'm really, really happy about it, actually. I, um, uh, Our mutual good buddy, uh, John from Marin, uh, he sent me maybe five years ago or four years ago uh, uh, a prototype loam lever, and I just saw 2018. Sorry, 2018. It was 2018, I think. Yeah, yeah 2018. It was a while ago. I just landed on my desk and I was like, "What the? <laughs> this is trick." Yeah. And I'm an absolute geek as well with bike stuff, so I was like, "Just going on the bike, used it, used it," and I never really gave my feedback. I told John it was great, and the next thing. I think I saw something on Instagram and it was just like, oh, wow, it's out. Oh, you can buy it. We're going to get it. <laughs> and so we ordered some and, you know, it's no secret the way um, the way governments, where everything's set up at the minute, there's import duty. Yeah. So we were doing B2B orders um, with Aaron and the team and, and maybe getting £500 worth of stuff over and paying a, a fair chunk. And that meant... The retail was perhaps higher than it could be, mm-hmm. and our margin was pinched. Um, and anyway, as as Aaron alluded to earlier on, got an email sort of saying, "Hey, who would be a good fit for us? Who do you think in the UK would be would be good to to warehouse our product?" And uh, I didn't reply, and I said to Matt in, in trail, "I said, oh, we could do that." <laughs> So we don't have warehouses. Like, oh, we we can get one. So we sorted it, and uh, and these guys are, are, are super progressive, and it's it's great. So yeah, I'll let Aaron explain a little bit from his side. Yeah, go on, Aaron. Yeah, no, it's been it's been awesome, man. Yeah, it, we we had been hearing about Sandy. He's kind of like a, a myth and a legend. Uh, we heard about him through John Oldale at, at Marin at first. It's funny because we we got these. We want to get the the lever tested in a variety of writing areas in different markets too, right? Like just because we think something's cool does not mean you guys are going to think it's cool over there. So we wanted to make sure that like the, you know, the features we had on this, on this limb lever and the way that it worked and all of this was relevant. So John said, yeah, yeah, I know some guys, I'll, I'll get them seated out. So we didn't really know where these went. Um, and then fast forward, you know, we were talking to Sandy. He's like, yeah, yeah, I was one of your guys' original testers. It was kind of, it was this crazy kind of connecting of, uh, uh, connecting the dots over the years. But, um, yeah, I mean, for us, the, the UK has always been a great market for us. And it's amazing what 
folks have been willing to do to get our products. You know, like they've been paying kind of exorbitant shipping prices plus duties to get the product there, which we felt horrible about. We went through a program where we're actually splitting the duty just to kind of invest in the market and just at least do what we could um, without losing money. But we got to a point where we see just the UK as a whole um, as a really meaningful uh, market for us. Um, I think that there's a lot of parallels with both of our shit weather. Um, you know, we're, <laughs> we're designing products here in Seattle and, and the, the Pacific Northwest region. Um, I think there's, there's, there's definitely a lot of parallels there of just really nasty, cold, wet days where you're riding on routes. Um, I think that's pretty familiar for you guys as well. Um, obviously there's, there's not really a language barrier. I think the way that we talk about product and we try to keep things pretty light and, and like, you know, lighthearted and fun. I think that translates really well. Um, we don't do a lot of focus on racing, which, um, obviously huge racing there, but I think that that has also helped us kind of focus on the more like just trail riding, getting out with your buddies and having fun out on the, on the trails, even if the weather sucks, like, that's definitely parallels. So, um, it's gone well. So we just, we needed to get the product there locally. And for us, customer service is our number one thing. Like I I was not comfortable doing anything where, uh, before, but basically if we couldn't provide the same level of service as we do here, I, I, I'm not willing to do it. And that's what's held us back is like, that was the missing piece. You can get product there very easily. There's tons of warehouses. You can use Amazon, whatever, but then we can't take care of people. Um, and that's totally not good. You know, that's unacceptable for me. So that's where, um, working with Sandy, who we knew, we trusted, we know their reputation. Uh, you know, we, we know the shop's reputation there. Um, that was the piece that really made us feel comfortable and, and knew that, you know, Trailhead was going to do everything they could to make sure customers were taken care of. We're going to pay for it, obviously, but like, we want to make sure that the initial contact when someone's writing in and saying, Hey, this isn't working right. Or, Hey, I want to exchange this size. Um, it's done quick and, and the person's really feels like we actually give a shit, um, which is, which is how we want to run things. So that was, that was good. And they've been doing that. So we've been hearing great things and, uh, I think our teams mesh well and it's been awesome. I'm I'm really happy about it. Yeah. And benefits for the customer, I guess, Sandy, not only is the product available, it's available quickly at the best price. And if there's issues then they get looked after, so kind of a win-win for everyone, I guess. Most definitely. And, and, you know, just to it's you know you still order stuff from pnw's website yeah. you know and, and you know no one really knows about trailhead and that's cool we like just being the in the background and and trying to back up uh, aaron and, and pnw's integrity that's that's our job is to to do what we say we're going to do and and that's kind of cool really i we ship all these boxes out and no one knows they're coming from us and i really like that it's, it's kind of you know I, I, it really sits well with me that that our little bike shop is is doing good work with these guys so yeah yeah it's cool nice good stuff and aaron you've um expanded the range at pnw quite a bit since the last time we spoke <laughs> can you talk a bit about some of the the bits and pieces you've added i think there was there's apparel pedals grips a tool there's all sorts going yeah. on yeah is that Dude, a great is that a gray we, hair uh, i can see <laughs> yeah yeah there's quite a few over here yeah it's funny i was getting my hair cut and i'm just looking down at the apron i'm like holy shit it's all great they didn't <laughs> used to be but these new products are fast tracking <laughs> i know the feeling <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, yeah. I think since last time we spoke, I and mean, we've launched, I, I believe, around twenty products since then. So that was a really, quite honestly, too much. Like that was that was an unsustainable pace. Um, we had so much demand that it was smothering us in a way, you know. But we had we had cash, and we wanted to reinvest it in growth. Like we weren't pocketing the money; we put it right back into expansion. 
which um, was a wild time. We launched a lot of a lot of products and got into a lot of new categories. So the apparel side of things, yeah, we made some beautiful custom designed jackets, jerseys, shorts, and in a hip pack. Um, I think our, our big learning there is we expanded way too quick, like classic scenario, like there's an opportunity and we went too big there. Um, so we're not doing apparel anymore other than like fun, uh, you know, like sweatshirts, shirts, hats, things like that. Yeah. Um, but that, that was a, that was a crazy learning actually speaking of that. It was apparel is really expensive to support. There's not just the product cost. There's then the merchandising expenses that go around that to market this stuff, get the studio shots of it, working with models that know how to look good in photos and don't look awkward like me. Um, when you're, when you're (laughs) standing there in something like that really goes a long way. Um, and you have to do it constantly. You have to align with the right inf, you know, the right, uh, athletes that are expensive because apparel is a really competitive game. And then speaking of that, you're going head to head with some of the largest, most funded brands out there um, and trying to compete with advertising dollars against them and all that stuff. It's a crazy world. So that that was that was eye opening for us. We're out. Um, But the component side has been great. Yeah, we got into pedals. We have alloy and composite pedals. Um, We expanded quite a bit. Um, across the board, we launched some new revisions of things, new droppers, new lum levers, um, yeah, grips, all the, all the things. So it's the been pebble. fun. Basically what we wanted, yeah, the pebble tool as well, which the awesome little multi-tool. It's fun. We just wanted to create something really small that you could bring with you on the trail and not really notice it in your pocket. Uh, but it's still, you know, you can fix a flat with it. It's kind of died a plug on there. Um, it's yeah, a smart addition. I like that. Yeah. 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 We just wanted to create products that really merchandise well together, you know, color matching them, making sure they're fun and desirable and, and also had like a, uh, a design theory behind them. So it wasn't just a product, like there actually was a reason why we made it. So it was fun. I mean, it was, it was a crazy time, but I'm, I'm glad we did it. You know, it's, it's, it's allowed us to really branch out and expand our wings quite a bit. Nice. So what does the future hold for PNW then? Are you slowing down, taking a little breather on the development side or are you still pressing on? No, we have some cool products coming, just less of them, just kind of higher development involvement, I guess you could say. So this is stuff where, you know, we're developing our own technologies, um, working with new factories, new materials. Um, so th- yeah, we'll have some stuff coming over the next, over the next year. Mm-hmm. Um, that'll be pretty exciting. So I'm, I'm, I'm stoked for it. They're bigger risks for us, but it's what you have to do. You know, it's, it's a constant, uh, kind of balancing of, of risk and reward and reward. Um, we've slowed down the number of launches, but yeah, like I said, there'll be kind of bigger impact stuff. So I'm, um, I'm stoked. I'm, I'm excited. And like I said, I mean, there's, there's a lot of really positive indicators in, in the industry. And I think by that time when we're launching this stuff too, people will be hungry for new product and new stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, yeah, again, I, I, I think it'll be a good time. Sounds good, man. Exciting stuff to come. What about you, Sandy plans for the future? Um, keep treading water and, uh, no, I think, <laughs> yeah, just try and keep my head above. No, it's good. I think the plans are just to be able to, you know, like if we're talking bike shop, I'd like trailhead to stop when I decide it's going to stop, not dictated by, you know, tough times and, hmm. In, and and the harder it gets, the kind of more I feel like I want to dig in and and uh, and get get through this with all of the great brands that are around us, you know. So yeah, no, I'm, we're just going to keep uh, keep doing more community stuff, more riding with customers, more more riding bikes, 
Yeah, I need to get over for one of your shot rides. I've still not made it. We've got some new trails for you. Oh, right. Sign me up. I'm a lot closer now, so we should make that happen for sure. Nice, man. Well, it's been really interesting chatting to both of you guys. It's been a long time since I've seen both of you. So, yeah, thanks for hopping back on. Hopefully, things are heading in a a positive direction. Hopefully, all of the brands uh, that we know and love that involve a load of awesome people all get through this and everyone... Mm -hmm survives it and we come out better the other side um if people want to check out what you two guys are up to uh where's the best place for them to be looking or best places yeah so for uh for you guys there uh locally in the uk we actually just yesterday got our uh pnwcomponents.co.uk site up um and otherwise pnwcomponents.com so yeah we've uh yeah that's probably the easiest place to start and then obviously we've got a whole network of retailers in both markets and um yeah, more stuff to come. Nice one. And Sandy, Trailhead, yeah. obviously. Yeah, like you said, the the PNW website, the the UK version's great because it shows UK stock and it's, it's all in the pound and it's really easy to use. But otherwise, it's uh, the Trailhead.co.uk or the Trailhead Bicycle Company on Insta. Nice. Or just come and see us. Yeah, if you're in Shrewsbury, yes, definitely, in. definitely make a look in the shop. It is the I don't know how I don't I think I've ever been in any kind of shop that has more awesome stuff in such a small space. I don't know how you've done it. It's impressive. That's nice of you to say, but it also keeps me up at night. But yeah, it's good. <laughs> it is good. It is good. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank, thank you. you. Thank, thank you very you. much, guys. It's been super fun chatting. And yeah, we'll see you on the other side of uh, the next 18 months. Cool. Thanks, man. Thanks, Chris. Cheers. All right. That's it for this episode with Aaron and Sandy. I really hope you've enjoyed it. Massive thank you to 7Mesh and PNW Components for supporting this episode. Don't forget you can get 20% off all of 7Mesh's incredible clothing, including their brand new air mat range by using the code 7MeshXDowntime20. That's the number 7 followed by MeshXDowntime, then the number 20, all lowercase with no spaces. That's 7MeshXDowntime20 over at 7Mesh.com. 7Mesh ship globally and that code is valid until the end of January 2024. You can check out PNW's entire range of awesome components by heading over to pnwcomponents.com or pnwcomponents.co.uk if you're based in the UK. Don't forget, if you want to help support the podcast, then the best way to do that is by heading over to patreon.com forward slash downtime podcast and setting up a donation. That's Patreon spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. We've also got t-shirts, sweatshirts and hoodies available over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop. Make sure you're following the podcast by hitting that button in your podcast app now or by heading to downtimepodcast.com forward slash follow. You can also get a bit of extra downtime by signing up to our newsletter at downtimepodcast.com forward slash newsletter. All right, that's it for today. We're going to have another awesome episode coming up really soon. But until next time, get out and ride. (laughs)